You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. With literally no media support at all, I sold 3 million books to people who don't read. My stuff blew up because all I did was stand up and use my real name and tell my real stories about my real life and people freaked out on both sides. Some people freaked out because they loved that someone was telling the truth, and the arbiters of culture freaked out because that threatens their status and their identity. No one wants to face this or talk about this or think this though. When you have an identity, almost everyone, once they lock in their identity, there is no fact that will ever shift them off that identity, ever. And they will literally ignore things clear as day, right in front of their face, even things that threaten their lives, if it threatens their identity. And I get why people are afraid, but then you got to ask yourself, am I going to speak my truth or am I going to be silenced? And if you want to be silenced, that's fine. It's just you're going to live a shitty life. How many times have you been on the podcast, Tucker? I believe this is number four. 
Three or four. I think it's like five or six. Because even one time, Brian Koppelman, the guy who makes billions yeah. and go rounders, of course, of course. he even came on once for his fourth time and said, I'm finally equaling the number of times Tucker Max has been on the show. So <laughs> no, like, I haven't been on for a while, though, man. No, you haven't been on a while. We have to, we have a lot of catch. I feel like the only times we get to catch up are on the podcast. Uh, on podcast. Yeah, I know. I so know. we've known each other. I feel like in, I don't know, internet years, we've known each other forever. Two decades or something. Yeah. Years. And uh, uh, we've been through, we've been in the trenches in a lot of things. Dude, we, I, I put Choose Yourself together. I put that whole team together. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's and just that was a, before my company. Like, like the like, just as an example, the book "Choose Yourself." You, me, Ryan Holiday were sitting around a table brainstorming titles, marketing, content. Mm -hmm. Niels Parker, your editor, was the editor on "Choose Yourself." Yeah. You introduced me. Your whole team. Erin Tyler, who did yeah, the cover. Aaron she Tyler says hi, the, by the way. She loves. Oh, it. love her. Yeah. She did the interior design. She works full time for my company. I know. Yeah. I know. I've re read her stuff about culture yeah. uh, on your company, and. Um, and then on the podcast, you helped me put together this podcast, like of back course. in 2014. Right, I forgot. I forgot I helped yeah, you. Yeah, you booked me a lot. You still booked me a lot of guests, but you you were you were seriously booking guests then. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I couldn't go fast enough for you, though. You wanted four guests a week, and I'm like, dude, this is too much. I can't I was do it. But also, I was driving myself crazy. I was burning out, which I've never succeeded in recovering from. But yes. um then you went off to start Book in a Box, or which is now Scribe yep. Media. Yep. Um, but you've gone through so many reinventions. Uh, I want to talk about all those. We've talked about them before, but I want to, now that the world's changed, I want to talk about them again. Um, but just how's it going? Dude, good, man. I, I, can't, I can't complain. I got an amazing wife. I got two great kids. Um, company's doing great. We got an amazing CEO. Like, uh, I got nothing really to... To complain about. I, I should mention too. Uh, I should thank you. Like, um, uh, first off, just as an intro, your 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 initial kind of breakout into the world was uh, you wrote several amazingly well written books. Uh, I hope they serve. Beer in hell. Um, assholes finish first. Hilarity ensues. Mm -hmm. uh, what's the title? Sloppy, Sloppy seconds. seconds yeah. yeah. And then you wrote about uh, Mate mm -hmm. with uh, Jeff uh, Miller. Yeah, Jeff Miller about evolutionary psychology and, and dating. Um, we've, we've talked about all of these books, but I will repeat again. Um, I hope they, they Serve Beer in Hell is one of the best written books ever. And many people disagree for, for, for weird reasons. Everybody's got their weird Ideological reason. reasons. No one disagrees about the book, they disagree about the ideology. Well, I think Different. actually most people haven't. Most people who just have just haven't read. The no, book. no, of course not. It's just a signaling mechanism. For right. Them. They're gonna say, "Oh, I'm so moral and wonderful because I'm gonna tell you I don't like this." Well, okay, let's start with this because I had a conversation with someone yesterday, right? Uh, saying all this shit about you, and I was like, "No, Tucker has been such a good guy to me, such a good friend. I've read all his stuff. What you're saying, he didn't actually write, but." Uh, but the perception is yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. I, I I said the story you're referring to. Someone sh literally shit on him. <laughs> he's self-deprecating. Was a girl. He's honest. Yeah. Yeah. He's he was like the only person. You know, the key to good writing is being really just super honest, bleeding on the page. And by the way, as an extra benefit, it's hilarious. Yes. And uh, it's like Hunter S. Thompson in. The, the the frat tire world, which is a genre you invented, right? Uh, and and all your story, like I remember, I always remember the one story where you're at the Las Vegas bachelor's party and you refer to 
There's two types of men. There's the ones who are going to go off and they want to do uh, hookers coke and coke. and hookers yeah. guys. And, and then and, there's beer and hot girls guys. Right. And, and like one set of guys wants to have fun with women who also want to have fun. Right. And the other guys are cheating on their wives. Right. And I know you. I know your amazing wife, Veronica, mm -hmm. your kids, your your years and years of Freudian psychoanalysis, Buddhism, mm -hmm. everything. Yep. Like you, and you acknowledge some of the stuff you've written might not have, you know, might, might not reflect you in the best light, which A, credit to you for might writing not. about that. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely doesn't. Right. There's no and, argument. And B, like, the, it's so I, I'm sorry I'm talking so no, much. No, please, it, go ahead. But like I said to this woman, let me recount to you a conversation I had with three other men earlier that day. And I recounted the conversation. She was like, that's disgusting. What was the conversation? What was the uh, tenor of it? Um, uh, 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 there was there were two aspects that were that were the tenor. Uh, uh, one was, I don't mean to be crude on the show, but one was a guy was talking about um, isn't it great uh, the first time you experience a, a blowjob? And they were telling their right. stories. And, I, and, and, and then it comes to me and I said, I don't know, I'll let you know when it happens to me. <laughs> and of course, everyone started laughing. Right. And then the next guy was like, you know, he's 50-something. He's like, how can I date a model? And so they were strategizing how to use Facebook, target every, uh, make an ad targeting every woman from 18 to 24 living in New York City who likes Wilhelmina models and put some of your articles on there and they won't know that you're just targeting them. It'll seem like you're famous. And so this was the kind of conversation. My point being that this is what men are talking about and some Tucker men. actually, some yeah, men. some men. Definitely. Like it's not like I was saying, no, do this. Right, and, of course, of course. But, you know, I'm happily in my relationship and, and you've known me for a long time. I've been kind of, to a fault, a serial monogamist. Yep. And, uh, um, but you actually wrote this stuff and just were honest. Nobody's ever honest. Uh -huh. People need to learn how to be more honest in their writing. Yeah. Dude, you, you know, um, it always reminds me of, you know, the fable of the emperor has no clothes. Yeah. Right. And so, like, you know, the, the scammer comes in and convinces the emperor that he's got these amazing things and only the smartest, best people can see him and there's nothing there. So the emperor says he can see him and then the whole court follows suit, right? And the emperor goes on a parade in his underwear, actually naked, and everyone has to, like, pretend that it is what it is, right? Because no one wants to be the person who calls out the emperor. But, you know, like, there's a little kid, right? In the fable, the little kid kind of says loudly, why is the emperor naked? And uh, and so the way it's told in modern times is everyone snaps out of the reverie, right? And they all realize the emperor is naked and then they that they all kind of learn, right? Do you know what happens in the actual fable? No, and I and that's interesting because I know a lot of fables are sort of rewritten for modern times to be nice. Here's what happens. They kill the kid because when you tell the truth to a bunch of people in a delusion, they don't want to hear the truth. They want to live with the delusion because it, it reinforces their identity and their status, right? And that's kind of the position that I found myself in. I... My whole life, I was like, I'm going to tell the truth. I don't give a shit what the consequences are. I don't care. Like, I'm not going to lie either to myself or to others. And that's just it. And so, like, that's why when I wrote my stuff, it never occurred to me that writing down true stories of what I did would be funny to anyone outside of my friends because we were all doing that, right? And I assumed everyone was doing it. And I assumed, like, oh, yeah, like, my friends will think it's funny, but that's it. 
turns out, you know, being a young, naive guy, and I was very naive when I was younger in a lot of ways. Everybody uh, was. That's right, the of point. course. But I feel like I was even more than most. And um, uh, turns out, no one tells the truth, right? Which is that's sort of one of the lessons of adulthood is that no no adults have it figured out, and they're all fucking lying, right? Well, I mean, that's the lesson that I learned. And so my stuff blew up because all I did was stand up and use my real name and tell my real stories about my real life. Not at all saying this is what you should do or this is how you have to be. This is just who I am and what I do and that's it. And people freaked out both on, on both sides. Some people freaked out because they loved that someone was telling the truth. And the, 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 the arbiters of culture freaked out because I said the emperor has no clothes and they could not they could not deal with that because that threatens their status and their identity. That's how it plays with me, dude. And I'm not trying to make myself out to be a hero because I, someone in that vein I would call a hero is someone more along the lines of um, Nassim Taleb or Jordan Peterson or those types, right? Those are the types that, that I would call a hero. Uh, I was more of a jester or a gadfly, but it's the same impact. Yeah, and I well, the way we met, I was almost writing similar types of well well it was very honest types of stuff about you write very in the similar stuff to world. me we're just different people yeah. So, yeah and so like i was basically saying you know all these pundits on these business shows they're all full they, of shit yeah they're all a they're full of shit and they've all gone broke they've all had the worst things like i would write these stories about what would happen to me going broke and all the experiences i've had and they would trash me on twitter but then write me like sorry yeah. the same thing happened to me also but i couldn't I can't actually say that or they'll never let me back on the show. Yep. And uh, and I was ostracized for this. And the way you reached out to me when somebody actually was like trashing me and I was responding and you were you wrote me and said- No, no, Don't. you wrote a whole piece. I remember very clearly. You wrote a whole piece about um, how, like essentially talking about how you handled uh, haters and people who trashed you, but also kind of fretting over it, right? Yeah. And the point you were, I think, making in the piece, if I remember correctly, was like, um, I have to pretend they don't. Basically, you're trying to figure out a way to to route around the emotional issue. And what I wrote, this is in, I think it is, it's in Choose Yourself. If it's yeah. not, it's in a piece you wrote. Um, uh, what I said was, no, no, no. What you have to do is reframe whose opinion actually matters to you, right? And that's the way, you know, a lot of people who read my stuff, especially ones who are kind of young emotionally, right? Which I was when I wrote my stuff. But a, a, a lot of them will read my stuff and say, how do you not care what other people think? And I'm like, why? I'm not a sociopath. I care what people think. I just only care about the people I know and the people I love and the people whose opinions I respect. Like if you were to come to me and say, Tucker, I think you know behavior X that you did is kind of messed up and we should talk about it, that would impact me and I would talk about it, right? I wouldn't be like, oh, screw you, James. If you don't agree with what I say, then to hell with you. Like I'm not Trump, right? <laughs> like like right. I'm not, that's not who I am. Um, but most people... The, the sphere of, let's say, caring for me is very small and tight. Um, for most people, it's very large and it's like them. You know, it, it encompasses so many of they and them. And I'm like, I ask people, well, who, well, you know, what, aren't you upset about what they think? I'm like, who is they? Define they to me. People, what people, right? And most people can't even define that. If you do get them to define, they'll say things like, well, society or well, you know, my friends, right? I'm like, what friends? And then you kind of dive them down. Eventually, you'll get to, at the core, either it's parents, right? You'll get that a lot. Well, what would my mom think? I'm like, well, whose life are you living? Yours or hers? One. And two, if your mom doesn't love you, 
for expressing who you truly are, I got to wonder about at least certain aspects of that relationship, right? That That's part of it. The other part is they'll say, well, that so many people essentially want to be the crowd and the emperor has no clothes. They don't want to be the ones that say the truth because they are so deeply afraid of being ostracized, being killed, right? And I get it because that's what happens. We're in the age now of this, of the, of yeah. the social media lynch mobs coming after people. And I get why people are afraid. But then you got to ask yourself, am I going to speak my truth or am I going to be silenced? And if you want to be silenced, that's fine. It's just you're going to live a shitty life. You know, it's interesting because, and I know you've gone, you, you go through the same thing every year. Like every year, you, we're, we're always in a constant state of reinvention. And we'll talk about your various reinventions. But there's always that crowd that is going to hate you for that reinvention. And so every year, somebody starts some groundswell of hate against me. And I have to, once again, figure out psychologically how I'm going to deal with it. Like it was just, maybe it was like seven or eight months ago, like in January, there was so much hate on Twitter against me on a Saturday night at one in the morning. And you and I have had this discussion a thousand times <laughs> since 2011. Uh. And, but there I am 1 a.m. on a Saturday night, my girlfriend's asleep in the other room and I'm literally tweeting, I can't, handle this. If someone really has a problem, call me right now. And I put my tweet in my phone number and people from Australia were calling me, Canada, LA. And I was talking to nobody's till six in the morning. And the only thing they would really say was, whoa, uh, I can't believe you answered the phone. Yeah, no, I didn't mean it that way. Uh, sorry. Yeah. You, it was it's cool. You answered the phone by the way. The and, madness of the crowd, man. In a crowd, people act totally differently than they do as individuals. Yeah. yeah. And, but I was stupid for even like, I should have just been sleeping. So hundred percent. And, and you tell me that every time, but it's still hard. It's still hard when a million people hate you. Yeah. I mean, I and get I'm exaggerating. It, it's not a million, but no, it feels I get it. like it. It is. It, it is hard. Like, I'm not going to pretend like I have some superpower that like, insulates me from that but like um it there's i'll tell you man there's a great book out about this now um so the three great and this is going to answer the question the three great titans of 20th century sort of psychological th- actually there were four the four great titans of 20th century psychological thought were william james um sigmund freud carl jung and then there's this other guy that everyone forgets about uh named alfred adler i was going right? to say alfred adler i love alfred adler i love Everything he writes. Adler's stuff can be a little difficult to really apply because, you know, he wrote in the sort of mid-19th century uh, sort of way that academics wrote. Um, But uh, there's a book called The Courage to Be Disliked by two Japanese guys, actually, that just got translated into English. The Courage to Be... The Courage to Be Disliked. Hmm. Um, and it, oh, I have seen this. It's uh, a fantastic book. It's funny. I've downloaded it, but I have not read it yet. You should read that. I think it would really, really help you. Um, the, the basic point of Adler's uh, sort of idea is that uh, other people's opinions of you are their problem, not yours. And it kind of which intellectually I believe with, I believe in. But when you see people, and I'm sure you, I've seen people I've given jobs to. Tra- may, I've seen people I've made money for 
trashing me suddenly like oh james is totally so but that's there so here's the thing so like think about this uh, think about the psychological cost of that if let's say i'm that like i'm person x and you i used to work for you and you did all this stuff for me right now i kind of got big a little bit on my own like i you and i know who i'm talking about i've dealt with people like that in my life right yeah. several yeah um and uh and then once they get big on their own then they're like okay now i'm gonna go I'm going to go crap on the guy who helped me here. That's super common. Not everyone does that, but that's super common. And um, uh, so there's two ways to react to that, right? There's a, there, you can internalize that and you can make that about you or you can realize, you know what? They, that's their decision and, and you know now, okay, I'm not going to deal with them anymore. Now I know who they are as a person uh, and, and that's fine. I'm just going to not interact with them in my life. But they're going to have to bear the psychological cost of that, not me. You know, they made the decision to essentially be an awful person. And I guess okay. they're trying to outsource that stress that they have to you. Yes, exactly, right? And so you, they, they have to live with that. You don't, you let yourself, you can make yourself live with it, but you don't have to, right? And it's not that it doesn't hurt. Okay, yeah, it hurts. You know, like I thought I knew someone, I trusted them. Um, I, I, I gave part of myself to them and they rewarded me with treachery. That sucks and that's not fun. But you can deal with that in that moment and then you can just move forward with your life and realize, okay, uh, like I need to, you know, maybe learn what I need to learn from that. But I'm going to move on and I'm only going to have people in my life who, who give to me in the way I give to them. Um, and, and yeah, but there is a cost to pay for that, man. Like you cannot, it takes courage to sit there and understand, you know what? Not everyone's going to like me. And, and uh, especially when you do something. And even aside from the identity social justice warrior mobs now, it, it, like let's go back five, eight years. That didn't really exist. At least not, not it existed against me, but only at the fringes, right? Um, regardless of the social times, whenever you do something at all, people will hate you. Some people will hate you for it. Right? It's called tall poppy syndrome in Australia. What's it called? Tall poppy syndrome. The idea is in a field of poppies, the tall one gets cut down. Right. And so the reason they're going to hate you is because your growth, uh, that when someone sees you grow uh, and do something, anything, they even on a really small scale, get a promotion at Subway, for God's sake. I mean, when I'm, I'm not talking about being a, a master of the universe, although it right. extends to that. I'm talking about go from a, a line worker to assistant manager at Subway. The other line workers will hate you. Or they will. They have. They have one option. They they need to root for you. They need to say, you know what, that that's a, a good person. They des they worked hard. They deserve it, right? They can see it as something you did. Or the other way, depending on the type of person they are and how they emotionally orient to the world, they have to hate you because your success to them reflects on their lack of success. And so now they have to face the fact that they didn't work as hard as they could have. Uh, assuming, let's say, they want the promotion, right? They didn't work as hard as they could have. They didn't do the things necessary to get promoted. And so, like, does that, 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 I mean, call it uh, anger, they can either turn that inward and see, you know what, I haven't, and they can take responsibility for their actions and then change their actions to then get promoted. Or what most, what a lot of people do, I don't even want to say most, but a lot of people is they can externalize it. And then now they can come up with a story. Well, James buttered up the manager and he's uh, uh, taking credit for my work and they can make you evil, right? That's what pe people go have to go one way or the other. Well, it's interesting because, you know, one of your reinventions, of course, was when you teamed up with um, 
a prominent evolutionary psychologist, mm-hmm. and um, you had a podcast with him. You did uh, uh, the book Mate about you know using evolution. You know, as opposed to the pickup artist scene, you used evolutionary psychology to more deeply understand dating and 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 how it works. So so part of this is is related to that. When someone sees you, when someone sees another person move up in status, we we get back to the DNA yes, of our of yes. our primate ancestors, which is that cortisol spikes. And there's people don't realize there's two ways to deal with it, which is what you just said. One is to get get feel you know try to put the other person down in status, right. which then relieves the cortisol. Uh huh. And the other is to kind of go along with it and say, oh, okay, maybe this is aspirational to me. And that will relieve the cortisol. So the body just wants to relieve the cortisol. Well, there's actually three ways. So you just talked about the two most common ways. The third way is kind of what I was talking about. And this is like the advanced sort of uber Buddhist way is to realize that none of us are actually in competition, right? Hmm. That that, uh, with the exceptions of some literal things like if you're playing in the NBA, you are in competition with the other, like, like with very specific bounded games. Well, in our, in, yeah, in 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 man-made rule-driven right, right. things, in bounded games, in chess, we're clearly in competition if we're right. playing, right? Um, but uh, we agree in advance, exactly. To be in competition. When we agree, we are in a finite game, right? Um, you can realize you actually are not in competition, right? You like, um, it would be so easy for me to look at you because when we started. I think I was probably bigger socially than you, media-wise. Now I think you're much bigger than I am. It would be so easy for me to like be jealous and hateful and whatever. But like, I, we're not competing, man. Like your success doesn't detract from mine, and vice versa. That now I don't want to say like I'm like this everywhere because I, I I I am not real good at that in certain other areas of my life. I have to catch myself, right? Like I'll see a company in a competitive sort of space to us. Like we don't really have true competitors, but we have alter- alternatives that you can use, right, to help write your book. And I'll see someone doing well. I get kind of I get that that feeling you're talking about, right? Where it's like screw them or like okay, we got to double down and be more responsible. The, be more responsible and uh, uh, focus on yourself is the the better alternative other than trash them, right? But the best alternative is to realize, and I tell this to my team all the time, and my CEO, you know, CEO and I have discussions about this all the time. We don't actually have competitors. Now, I'm not. That's not necessarily true in all business, but we don't. We are in a white space, a new field that is opening up, and if we just focus, and it's an enormous space. Exactly. It's a multi-billion dollar space. And if we just focus on our customers and ourselves, we are going to win. And well, I, whether we're first or not, we're going to win. You're in a space that's in a, that's obviously a writing space. I want to talk a lot about Scribe and what you do. You basically help people with stories, but don't have necessarily the skills or the time to write a book. And by the way, it's a hard skill that people don't realize is very, very difficult. You help them put out an amazing book. A, a recent customer who's been on the podcast is one of my all-time favorite comedians, Tiffany Haddish. You guys wrote a great book for her. Yep. It was amazing. She was amazing. Um, and and also, it's a testament to you guys that she chose you. She was going through her biggest peak upswing in career, I mean, mm-hmm. which just keeps going, and she chose you to work with. It's another thing that came up in topic yesterday with my friend was that, like, look, Tiffany Haddish... It's not like she didn't know who Tucker Max was and she wrote her, she chose him. She had many choices. She chose him to write the book with. So, but I want to get to that in a, in a second. You know, one thing I've noticed with you is as part of these reinventions, I think at first it's what you were just saying at first, 
you were really into the numbers. How, how many people are following the blog, buying the book, following me on social media? Now, because you're focused on the business, seems like that's, and, and you focus on your family, seems like you took a step back from that worry, which is an, an addiction, that worry. Like that, yes. so many millions of people are addicted to how many Instagram followers that I gained today. I see yeah. people with like 3,000 Instagram followers <laughs> will come to me and say, I lost 15 followers yeah, today. Right. Or I didn't like, get 25 likes on my post. Right, there. right. And they yeah. count it minute by minute. Like I see, like if they'll post something and then within two minutes, if they're not hitting their average likes per minute, yeah. they'll take down the post, <laughs> like in two minutes. <laughs> And, uh, and I feel like you've weaned yourself. I, I've had that addiction uh, and I've lowered it a little lately, uh, but it's it's still, I still think about it. I feel like you've weaned yourself completely off that addiction. So how, how do you wean yourself man, off I wish, the, dude. I love when people tell me, oh, from the outside, everything looks great. And I'm like, nah, it's turbulent season here, man. <laughs> like, you may look great, but it's not how it is. I believe it. But again, we, as you mentioned, we get to update all in these podcasts and you've been such a mentor to me through the years, which I'm grateful for. I get to ask you these questions right now that I'm working through. Yeah. Um, you know what's funny? The, the, the first thing I think about is like, uh, I feel like it, it, it's weird. We live in a world right now, I think this is slowly changing, but we live in a world where that addiction is actually beneficial to you if you are in the media and if you have a media-centered business, which you do, that addiction actually helps the business. Sure. So at least in the short term, right? In the short term, that's one of those things where it's like, that works, right? Um, the way that I've dealt with dealing like that is it wasn't really a conscious thing, man. It was like, I think it was just, I it, this is more of a slow thing, but as I kind of went through therapy and as I kind of really dove into to myself and my emotions and, and all that kind of stuff, I really just went to the core question. And the core question for me is, why do I do any of this? What does this matter, right? Why, like, what really matters to me? And the answer I always came back to were there are only two things that matter. Um, the, the relationships I have with the people I love, right? Which at the core is, is my family. And then radiating out for that are my friends, you know, like people like you, all the people I work with, all that kind of stuff. And then the work that I do that helps uh, those people in the world. Those are the only two things that actually matter. And once I really emotionally connected with that, it's like I just couldn't get into, it's like all the, the volume on the media stuff just turned all the way down. But don't you feel like, the you know, let's say thousands of people on, or millions of people on social media suddenly um, are trying to pull you down for whatever these reasons we discussed mm -hmm. before. Don't you feel like a little bit, these anonymous people have their hands in your pocket trying to stop you from doing what, what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course, to some extent. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I, loved, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others 
Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests. And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side-by-side side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit, where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours, and they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So... I, I at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop, really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. 
James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Your business always gets to new and new levels in terms of recognition and fame and, and success. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you know, the book with Tiffany Haddish, that's probably the biggest celebrity uh, you guys have worked with to date. I'm sure you're working with with more now. we got three coming that are big. Yeah? Real big. Yeah. They come in on the podcast after they publish. Well, Nassim Taleb. Nassim Taleb. Have you ever had him? Oh, yeah. You, you're doing two books with him. Yeah, yeah we're doing Nassim two t- books with him. I think I'm the only podcast he's ever been on. Yeah, yeah. No, Nassim. I've like, known she, him for 20 years. And then we're doing, you know, David Goggins, right? Yeah, yeah. David's, oh, dude, his Seal. book's so good. And then we're doing, this is crazy, uh, we finally signed the deal with them. They've paid, they're, they're in the process right now with the Nobel Prize Committee. Like the no, like the Nobel Nobel Prize in Norway, they're doing, it's an academic book, so this isn't going to be like a, a big thing. But um, they're doing, because they want to publish uh, the book in America and they don't want to go to traditional publishers. Nassim Taleb, who has a paper in the book, convinced them to own the rights and so referred them to us. So we got those three are coming a real big. A couple of others, uh, David Bach, who's done, sold millions of books in finance, um, Gino Wickham, who you know did traction and all those sorts. Yeah. Of, we got a lot of those. By the way, and, and Nassim Taleb, who is an intellectual powerhouse, like I think if all you do is read the titles of his books, <laughs> know, it'll right? change your life. Seriously, <laughs> so, his books but, are, are, I think, sentence for sentence, some of the the most condensed, dense wisdom on earth. I would say, and just the words again, anti fragile and skin in the game yeah. have changed my life. But then when you read the books and, it, and you connect the dots to so many other parts of your life, it's amazing. Because yeah. he focuses on he, his things, but you could take those concepts and focus them on other things in the exact same way. And it's brilliant. But even in my podcast with him in 2014, he speaks very highly of you, which again, I'm glad the Nobel group is going to work with you because again, this virtue signals to everybody who's saying, well, didn't he do this and this and this? So so let me, I I know the question you're asking. So like we've actually strategically made a decision in the company and you're going to start to see this play out, right? Is that for when we started um, as a company, because we're, you know, we help people turn their ideas into books, right? That's what we do. And, and so I was sort of, I had to be the linchpin of it because I'm the guy who's written, you know, genre creating multi, almost decade best-selling books, right? So I kind of had to be that, that for credibility and for all that. So I had to be the linchpin, but now we're up to 40 people full-time and a hundred something freelance and our CEO JT is amazing and, um, like I, way better than me at business and at team building and, and. I always say, like, you know, my team, our team tolerates me, but they would lay in the road for him. You know, like, if if, if anything happened, they would all, they'd be like, all right, Tucker, thanks. And they would literally all go with him. No, and, and I've read and, his book, too. He's and I don't amazing. Blame him. Like, I would, too. <laughs> in a split, I would go with him. I wouldn't even go with me. Well, you stepped down as CEO right, for to him. basically take uh, a guy, uh, you did their book, his book, uh, he, you know, and you and I both feel the same way about education, but he doesn't have a high school education 
uh, which is fine he, for he me. He did graduate but, from high school, just barely. In the, he had to go to summer school to graduate. Yeah, does, no college. Son of a pimp, one of 23 children of yeah. a pimp, raised in foster care. Um, a lot of people would be judgmental about that. You did his book, and then you immediately stepped down as CEO and made him CEO of your company. Yeah, no, no, so, no doubt. But here's the point I was making is, you, like, he's an amazing speaker, an amazing thinker, an amazing leader, an amazing man, and like the, this it's sort of it's why why did I step down as CEO? Right, the, it all comes down to what was the company about? Was it about me or was it about our our authors and our mission? Because if it's about me, I was going to stay. But if it's about uh, us and them. I needed to step down, and, and so I think I, that was an evolution for you. It I was. think initially, it was an I think initially, you you not that you wanted it to be about you, but in your mind, it was it was about you. <laughs> it defaults to that, you know. Like I mean, that, of course, um, but it was a major evolution. It was a major decision. I, I would say it's one of the three most important decisions I've made in my life. Period. Not even just business. Okay, let me right? guess that. Choosing Veronica because you were you you Marrying chose her. A, we kind of chose each other. Yes, I didn't, I didn't just right, go to the right. store and buy her. <laughs> but she's an amazing woman. And yeah. then what's number three? Moving to Austin. Oh, okay. Those from, would be the three. Where did you move from? I, I was in LA right okay. before that. Yeah. Um. So, but anyway, here's the point I was making: is we're kind of in that that same point with media, right? Where it's like I was kind of the face of it for a while, but like um. For a lot of reasons, I think it just doesn't make sense to make me the face of it anymore. Uh, uh, and JT is now going to be the face uh, for many, many reasons. And so now, literally, my job in the company, we just made this shift this month. My job in the company is taking all my skills in media and content and brand building and applying them to him. We are going to build his brand and put his knowledge out there and and create like a massive sort of, I think, community around him. One, because he's amazing and people will want to hear what he has to say 100%. But two, because, it, like I said, if it's about me, the decision is different than if it's about us and about the you know, the, the company and the tribe and, and the authors and the, and the mission we're on. If it's about all that, <coughs> he needs to be the face. And it is, and so that's what we're doing. I think that's smart because, again, no matter what you do, you're no matter how great your I books were. I come with baggage, dude. Yeah, you Straight have, up, you I have do. baggage, and and particularly in this Me Too environment, that's gonna uh, 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 block people who haven't like, read your books. Fair <laughs> or unfair? And I yeah, think most of it's unfair. But it's like it's sort of like why stand outside and scream at the at the sky? So let, let me, just accept reality. Let me play devil's advocate on some of your statements on that, because also I don't want to I don't want to make this a total love fest, because I'm also just curious. Right. So. In one interview I read with you, so there's a there's this a hilarious story in um, I hope they serve beer in hell, and this was also in the this story was the first scene in the off Broadway show I hope they serve beer in hell, yeah. and it was and in the movie uh, oh in the movie and uh, uh, there's a guy you you write the story I don't know how old you were you're in your early twenties you, you which is like. 30 years ago almost. There's a. It would be you, 20 years ago, but that's cool. <laughs> I'm, not, yeah. I'm not 50, man. <laughs> I don't know. I always assume everyone's the same age as me. Um, so uh, you're with a girl, everything's going crazy, you're drunk, everybody's. A horrible thing happens to you at the end, which I, people should read the book. But um, this was a topic in an interview with you. Someone is in the closet videotaping you, uh -huh. which again, you've 
describe your reinvention, the years of psychoanalysis. You say you weren't a good guy all the time, but no, on that, not. on your specific response to her question on that, um, you said uh, non-consensual sex is different from recording an event, and you're correct technically. What? And it's legal too. Recording an event in uh, it's state by state the laws right. on, on consent consent to that. But is that in some way kind of uh, uh, a harassment act against the woman you're with? No, it's not so harassment. I, I'm just I'm calling you. It's you not, said no, you, no, I no, could call dude, not, behavior. Of course, of course. I'm happy to talk about any of this. It's not harassment. What it is is a fucking dick move. It's not harassment. Like uh, they're totally different things. There, there was, there's no question of consent or anything like that with me and the girl. It wasn't okay. even a thing. In the article, you said you didn't say it was a total dick move. You just argued kind of the Me Too kind of component, or at least that was what was reported. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know which interview. She you're just, about. she, she. Uh, I, I forget the article actually. I felt, I felt while reading it, this person hadn't read any of your stuff. It's one of those things where, of course, I yeah. mean, like anyone who's doing a piece on me now about what I wrote about fratire stuff has an agenda and it's an it's just a signaling it's just a right. virtue signaling agenda what i say doesn't matter i am just a a um something for them to burn in effigy you know can i can i just tell you a story so and then i want to get back to this this point but uh someone you know when i was selling this very legitimate course on cryptocurrencies and so on right, to, to help my readers deal with oh, this. Oh, I know. I saw that whole firestorm. Yeah. yeah. So so one person from, I think, I think it was BuzzFeed or Wired, uh, she asked me a ridiculous question. She said, when you say Amazon might do this, are you manipulating the price of Amazon? And <laughs> I said, Am Amazon's like almost a trillion dollar company. <laughs> And and billions of shares are sold a day, and thousands can, of media pieces are written every year. Yeah, and can you can you? I just I just want you. I want to hear you say, of course. I just want you to repeat the phrase. Of course, there's no way James Aldrich can manipulate any, the price of Amazon stock. And there was total silence on the other side, and I was silent. I was not going to say another thing. And she said, "Okay, yeah, there's no way." James Altucher could manipulate the price of Amazon stock. And then what appears in the article the next day? <laughs> I know James Altucher manipulated the price of Amazon stock. Of course, dude. Because like uh, people will learn someday that media is not about facts. Media is about manipulating an emotional response to control. It's about setting the frame to, uh, to control the discourse. I mean, that's like, and I don't mean right or left. They're both the same. They just have, it's just two different tribes fighting. Uh, what do you mean studying the frame? Warfare. Meaning like the like the uh, the Overton window, right? Like what you're allowed to discuss versus not discuss. Like that's why, it's why, uh, I mean, we can go super, super deep into this. But but if you look at, look at any media piece about me, right? In, in mainstream media, I mean. No one ever talks about, like if you were to read a piece on me, like and not know anything about me, it would almost be like, well, why would anyone read this? Like, like his stuff. Like, why? How could anyone even be a fan, right? And that's actually, if you look at all the mainstream media pieces about me, they are all uh, part media elite writing to other media elite, trying to convince them that it's okay for them to dismiss me, right? Like, I, dude, with literally no media support at all. I sold three million books to people who don't read. 
No, seriously. Like, I mean, in about 60 to 70% of my fans, uh, at least that would buy, you know, uh, uh, by sales, we think are, are men, right? But now, listen, by event, I mean, because I, I did hundreds of events, more than 50% of the people who showed up were women. Um, but uh, but by sales, it was probably a majority of, of at least 60% men, right? And these are young guys. Young guys. I, I have literally tens of thousands of emails from people, men and women actually, who say, uh, you know, I, I read I read one book this year. I've read one book in the last 10 years. I've never finished a book outside of school except for yours, right? And, and so no, no one in media ever talked about any of that, ever. No one ever addressed why my stuff was popular, why people loved it. All they did was attack me because I was the kid who said the emperor has no clothes, right? You know, I, and you want to see how this plays out with someone else. Look at what's happening to Jordan Peterson now. Jordan Peterson is very, very different than me, but doing the exact same thing. He is smashing the Overton window of the accepted uh, uh, sort of social justice media uh, leftist discourse, right? Well, smashing it. I, and, and look at every single piece about him in New York Times, or New Yorker, or any of those places. Every piece, at no, in no way, shape, or form do they address why is this dude so popular. This guy is selling out two and 3,000-person stadiums to talk about philosophy. Yeah, For it, fuck's sake. And, no one talks about that. Why? Because what his narrative is not in their accepted narrative, and so what they have to do is attack him. They have to destroy him, at least to themselves, right? Because... Otherwise, they then have to rethink um, th th really what it is. He's beat them in the status wars. He has beat them, and they are now trying to re – they're arguing. If you look at every piece about Jordan Peterson, same as every piece about me, the, the argument boils down to here's why he should be considered low status. Well, and I will say like because I've read some of the articles trashing him the most, and he's been on this podcast. I've, I've read his book like five times. Uh, I could always tell – the writers of these articles haven't read his book. I Dude, mean, of course not. Why? They, they, it, they say things James, that- when in, you are it, in an ideological battle, facts are irrelevant. Right. If you look at them like, look at them like, here's a good way for Americans to think of it. Look at them as, uh, as uh, look at the writers as agents of propaganda for Nazis or communists. Like look at Nazi propaganda, look at communist propaganda, right? Whichever side you are. Like look at the like the actual Nazis and the actual Soviet communists. Look at their propaganda, and then look at what's written about Jordan Peterson. It is literally exactly the same template and format, because this is not a discussion about facts. This is not a discussion about anything at all. This is a status debate about one tribe versus another, and that's it. That's all it is, dude. Right. And so and so the point is a little bit. I think a lot of people buy into the idea that oh, if the media says something, then that's what we should bow down to. But Jordan Peterson, you know, like like many writers we know who are actually great writers and thinkers, he is saying what is true to him, and he's studied it and researched it for, for decades. This is his personal experience. I mean, chapter one of his book, uh, 12 Rules for Life, is make your bed. <laughs> like Dude, He's not saying these, these horrible things, and they're saying, oh, no, he said this, this, because, this. He didn't say any you understand of that. What's, I don't think you understand what's going on. Here's what's going on. The, the, for 100 years, the mainstream media controlled the narrative in this country, right? Controlled it. If you were not 
if you're if you did not go through the 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 major media channels, you did not have a large audience. Period. Point blank. That is done. That is over. Now now they don't realize it and they won't accept it. This is all deeply unconscious for them. I was one of the first breaks in the dam. I was the first person to ever go blog to book. I was the first one blog to bestseller, first one blog to movie, all of that stuff, right? And so a big part, uh, there were two reasons why mainstream media hated me. They didn't hate me so much early on because I was coming an alternate route. It was much more, I got caught up in the second wave feminist debate about all men are evil, women are good, which you see is peaking now, right? I was just an early sort of uh, uh, entrant to that. But as I got bigger, you saw them all turn on me because I didn't go through any of the approved channels. I didn't drape myself in literary pretension. I didn't live on the Upper East Side and go to the right cocktail parties and all that bullshit, right? I said fuck you to them and I went directly to fans and it worked. Jordan Peterson is the exact same. The, the mainstream media, everyone who writes and grew up in the mainstream media did it because they want to be, at their core, gatekeepers of opinion. And Jordan Peterson is absolutely resilient to any of their opinions on him, which makes him quite literally an existential threat to them in their mind. His status, essentially hierarchy, is outside of theirs. And they want, in their mind, all media must be on our status hierarchy. And so that's why... That's why they hate him so much. And that's why there is, it looks like, almost like a coordinated effort. It's not, no one's sitting in a back room saying, all right, we got to kill Jordan or uh, trash Jordan Peterson. It is an emergent property of how their minds think and the type of type of person who rises in that sort of essentially bureaucracy, that media bureaucracy. So it's interesting because I've, I've been on some podcasts recently from people who have been kicked out of, let's say, that world yes. and now they have to find their voice and what they realize it's like life-changing they, they they suddenly realize oh my gosh i could be honest about how i feel and there's a much bigger audience that have been quiet that is ready for me to be to hear honesty and i think that's what jordan Most, peterson went through everyone breaks the mirror that reminds them of their ugliness right dishonest people have always hated me they've always hated you they hate jordan peterson dishonest people hate people who tell the truth because it makes them even if it's unconscious reflect on their dishonesty. is it is it dishonest or is it some sort of they're being dishonest uh, to themselves like they they're, they're too lazy to figure out no. how do i really feel about these opinions. i don't think it's laziness especially when their dishonesty is rewarded so all the finance guys you were talking about yeah. who privately would tell you you they were ripe and publicly played a different face that's not laziness, dude. They're putting right. on that bullshit public face so that they are on CNBC. Right. They are playing, a, they are putting on a mask that is totally disingenuous to who they really are so that they get the benefits and the accoutrement of being in the media spotlight. That's, a, that's nothing more than straight dishonesty and lie at a core level for them. And it really does have to do with the uh, almost not reading the facts because again we both know jordan peterson he's very simple philosophy simple guy but just straight out honest you know your stuff this is a core tenet of his philosophy is always tell the truth right and 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 he's super nice guy i've never heard him say a single thing even remotely related to what they say he says because i know he can't possibly say these things 
But I think it's hard to, like when you're on the side of mainstream media, it's like you're joining a team that will reward you. So I can make a tweet. It's a tribe. Yeah. You stop even using the word facts. Facts are irrelevant in right. tribalism, right? Like think about, um, uh, we grew up in, 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 in uh, when, when Soviet Russia still existed and was an enemy, right? In that time in American history, um, nothing, the Soviets were the other team. Right, and America was our team, and nothing they did could be right, and everything we did was right. You know, if you look at the, you go look at what people wrote at the time, it will blow your fucking mind. Right, it, 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 there's no difference with anything else, dude. When when someone, th- th- this is like there's a hundred years of, of research on this. No one wants to face this or talk about this or think this though. When you I, have an identity. Most people, almost everyone, once they lock in their identity, there is no fact that will ever shift them off that identity, ever. And they will literally ignore things clear as day, right in front of their face, even things that threaten their lives, if it threatens their identity. That is the way humans are designed. That like It takes a transcendent soul to be able to even broach that a little bit. And think a little bit independently, much less actually transcend identity, dude. Well, and, and I think the reason I say the word laziness is, let's say you're up and coming, whether it's media or writing, or you're trying to figure out what success means to you. You can. It's very easy to join the mainstream team, make a funny tweet yes. that they all agree with, yes. and even if you have no Twitter followers, suddenly you have ten thousand likes you're in the on, system. on your tweet. Right. So. Mm-hmm. So that's like kind of this easy way for to to kind of hey oh my, oh my gosh everybody approves of what I'm doing I have some status it's actually the reason why then you have to fit into the approved narrative if you want to stay right and and the reason why I say lazy is there really isn't an opposite team because what happens you and Jordan Peterson and me and other people we know we're not really saying the same things. We no. all have our different things. No. So there's not like one single narrative like that we meet at a club and talk no, about. No, the opposite team used to be in America was conservatism, right? And and you and I and, and yeah. Jordan and, and Rogan and Weinstein, all those guys, none of us fit on the conservative side at all in any way, shape, or form, right? Because in America, conservatism used to overlap heavily with uh, religion and fundamentalism. And those I have were- to ask what you meant by Weinstein. <laughs> Uh, Eric Weinstein. Oh, okay, all right. Of course. Not Harvey oh, yeah. No, no, no. I just had to, I, Harvey, I have to. No, this actually. A, a, I have to underline it. That's Harvey why. Weinstein was a pillar Eric Weinstein's of brilliant. the social justice community and like that sort of community. I'm talking about Eric Weinstein and his brother, Brett Weinstein. There are a lot of Weinsteins, dude. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um, but you're right, of course. Uh, anyway, so like all the, the people that I think Eric Weinstein calls, uh, he kind of put them in a group and called them the intellectual dark web, right? Um, it's essentially what it essentially is is centrism in a way. It is libertarian centrism, uh, which was not in any way, shape, or form a coalition or even a party in America. Um, but the way that 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 the, I mean, dude, like the way that the media has shifted, it's not even left. It's not left anymore. It is now authoritarian left, right? Sarah Jiang is the perfect example of this. Did you see this about who they hired in the New York Times? No. They hired a woman. I, th- I think her is pronounced Jiang. Sarah Jiang. I don't read the news at all. Yeah, I don't either. I just saw this in Twitter. Yeah. Basically, like she got hired to the New York Times editorial board, and she is the most racist person I've ever seen openly on Twitter. It's just that she's racist against white people. And you think, like, I, I, if I were to tell you what her tweet said, you wouldn't believe me. 
Uh, there are things like cancel white people, who the you know kill white people, all the, like like crazy stuff, like like nuts, uh, to the point where this other woman uh, who's black, Candace Owens, took literally word for word Sarah Young's tweets. Uh, she tweeted them, but replaced black or white with black, and the Twitter uh, uh, algorithm blocked her, deleted her account, right? Um, uh, 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 Candace Owens, right? Anyway, so point is. That woman was not just hired to the New York Times editorial board. The New York Times then doubled down and defended her. And now the entire left, you, you like uh, Vox is writing explainers about how delete white or cancel white people is not racist against white people. Literally, they are twisting themselves in the most preposterous intellectual knots where if you show what they write to anyone reasonable, they're like, what the hell are they talking about? This is quite literally the definition of racism. Um, because that's how tribalism works, dude. That's how it infects and destroys your brain is that facts become irrelevant. All that matters is keeping your, the identity of your tribe together and isolated and keeping the other, right? There's a great book on this and there's a guy you should have on your podcast. His name is Robin Hanson. The book's called Elephant in the Brain. Mm, It it is the most mind-bending book you will probably read in the last five or 10 years. It is mind bending right and and most of the stuff he writes about like if you really know evolutionary psychology and you really know psychology it wasn't kind of revolutionary but the way that he puts it together most people don't know that stuff but the way he puts it together and then he shows how it impacts sort of action uh it like most people will freak out like uh i mean you go to, like healthcare is such a good example um we have we spend the most uh, per capita on healthcare, and we have the worst results because what he, he kind of shows very empirically is that healthcare is about looking good, not actually about being healthy. In America, that's mm-hmm. the way that that it kind of works, right? It's a status thing, it's a tribe thing, it's not about the actual results. That's what I'm all media discussion. If you if you take off the lens of fact, if you stop pretending it's facts, and you look at it as every argument in media, every and even the the news arguments. Um, cause opinion at least pr- doesn't pretend, but all of it is opinion and all of it is a debate over who should be higher status and who should be lower status between differing tribes. That's all it is. And so the problem is, is again, there's a team on one side, which is, let's just call it mainstream media, but I even hate that word cause it's, you know, a, a cliche almost. And then the other side is you can't have a team of all people just being honest about their truth because there is no one truth and we all you were, have you our weren't own able to before. You weren't able to before. I think we are seeing a shift in the American um, political and media landscape where that's going to happen. I think... Um, I mean, it's start, it's, it's, it's started already. It's already happening, but it's, but it's secretly because it's not as if you're in jail for speaking your truth. You're a successful person. Well, Jordan what, Peterson is successful. Look what just happened to Alex Jones. Yeah, Totally deplatformed. And by the way, uh, all at once. Even if you disagree with him, I mean, of course, Alex Jones is much. Tin, he is a people much worse on wearing, Twitter. Like uh, kook. Like yeah. no, come on. Like of course, man. This guy thought you know Sandy Hook was a f- false flag. Uh, come on, dude. Like really. But the, that's the point. Is either we are a free speech society, or we are not. And and Alex Jones was literally simultaneously deplatformed by all the major tech platforms. And all the arguments now against Alex Jones are like, they're preposterous, dude. Like, like there is no definition of free speech that that man does not fit under. 
it has nothing to do with the content, right? Like, I don't listen to his stuff. I can't stand it. I think it's ridiculous. That's not the point. That is absolutely not the point. The point is that that authoritarian left has now infiltrated um, sort of tech platforms. And they're like, it's like, okay, we can't win these debates. So we are going to silence people. That is literally what is happening. That is absolutely what is happening. And dude, it didn't start with Alex Jones. I mean, this stuff started first with uh, the alt-right, Stormfront, whatever. At least there's an argument there. Uh, those those are the identity politics people on the right. They're like the actual Nazis, right? They're like the actual white supremacists. Those are those. That's the right equivalent of the left that I'm talking about. You can at least make an argument that those people shouldn't have access to uh, – that they step outside the bounds of speech because they are advocating violence on races, right? Okay, I get it. No problem. No one really defended them. Don't expect it. After that, what happened? Then they came for the sex workers, right? They came for the prostitutes. They came for the the escorts. And I forget the name of the law, but basically, uh, like, the the last 15 years had seen an incredible reduction on on violence and uh, uh, crime and assault against sex workers. Why? Because they were they they were able to essentially create their own platforms on the internet. They were able to uh, uh, get out from under the thumb of pimps. Uh, they were able to um, essentially like create their own businesses, get correct uh, connect directly with customers. All the things everyone else is doing, Uber, whatever, work for sex workers was great, right? Oh, what's the law? I can't remember. The point is. Um, they, essentially, they were all banned in the name of stopping sex trafficking. It was total bullshit, right? It's just it's just fundamentalist prudism on the authoritarian left is all it is. And so now you've seen an incredible in the last year rise of of uh, all the pimps are back, all the the crime and all that shit's going through the roof, right? They were deplatformed. Now it's Alex Jones. After that, I'm telling you, you watch. They're gonna come for. Um, they're gonna come for. The the uh, in fact, Vox even wrote a piece about this. Well, if Alex Jones is banned, then you have to go after uh, all the people like that that are sort of just slightly right of Jordan Peterson's not even right. He's not, he's like it's like calling never him or Joe Rogan or Eric Weinstein. These people on the yeah. right is ridiculous. But that's what the whole point is that they're reframing. So okay, well now we've got Alex Jones. Now we've got a deep platform. It is a tribal fight, dude. This is not a fight about facts. This is that's why that's why you see those people redefine um, uh, uh, free uh, redefine hate speech as violence, right? Because as soon as you say speech is violence, you can say, well, Alex Jones is encouraging violence against schools because he thinks Sandy Hook was a false flag, right? It's a ridiculous, convoluted argument. But if no one's paying attention, and you're right, and there isn't no no tribe is gonna uh, defend Alex Jones. He's a conspiratorial kook, right? But like either we have free speech or we don't. That dude is that dude is the definition of like oh man, and, and, and like, don't give me like private company bullshit. No no no. When you have networks, uh, especially network markets like like the the tech platforms have become, there is the legal arguments very clear for this. There is an easement thing. He has built and and created a lot of value on those platforms. He has at least some right to some sort of uh, it's a gray area, but some sort of of objective standard being applied. And there is none. Well, there's zero because if he goes, I'm telling you, you watch. Vox is going after all the people like uh, Candace Owens, and there's a bunch. There's a huge. A list of people on YouTube who are sort of like Jordan Peterson, but not quite as smart. Uh, who great videos and whatever, and people like. 
Um, I mean, I don't watch any of them, so that's why I don't know any of their names. But they're they're gonna go for them next, dude. You watch, dude. This is not this is not like oh, this is gonna happen in five years. It's happening right now. Well, what because this is a tribal fight. That's what it is. What strikes me is is that um, it's not illegal on the side of the tech platforms because there was actually a big case in the '90s with Prodigy. I don't know if you remember Prodigy. Was this? Of not quite a social network, but maybe the first big popular message board alongside early AOL. And people sued Prodigy because there were there was some Nazi group uh, spewing their their hate stuff. And Prodigy didn't take their messages off, so groups sued. And yeah, the so court the, said, the, the, went up to the Supreme Court that Prodigy, since they have no control, so, since since they're not um, doing any they're not curating. Right, so what started the DMCA. You can't, uh, you can't decide here I'm going to edit, but here I'm not. Right, uh, no, it's what started the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, which is kind of the controlling law for all this. Look, I, I'm not going to make this out to be simple legally. It is a gray area, right? Like, I get the argument YouTube's private. They don't have to host Alex Jones. Of course not, I get that. Um, but uh, there's, there's, it's much, much more complex than that, dude. It's not that simple. I wish well, it was. Well, okay, then, but to, to segue it back to, to literally, you know, you, you asked the question, what matters to you? How do you define success? It's not like you're going to stand up and, you know, f fight, you know, this your isn't whole my life. fight. Right. No, but, it's kind of funny. We've been talking about this for 30 minutes, but this isn't even my fight. No, but yeah. I, would, I would say it is a little bit. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.